Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the disappearance of Everly's Cabrera in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's get right to it. Las Vegas is known for its bright lights and flashy casinos, the go-to place to escape the mundane 9 to 5 and have a good time, and to do things you would never dream of doing back home in Nebraska. I mean, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas didn't become a saying for nothing. But in June of 2006, the community of North Las Vegas was rocked by the disappearance of a two-year-old little girl named Everlise Cabrera, and nobody was looking for a jackpot at the casino, at least not the permanent residents of North Vegas, and instead they were frantically searching for this two-year-old child. And she didn't go missing from a hotel or get lost in the crowded streets. Diamond Point Court is a suburb of North Vegas. It's only about a 20-minute drive from the hustle and bustle of the Vegas Strip, but a world away. It's a pretty tight-knit community despite being a rather large suburb. The houses are what you would expect to see out in the desert of Nevada. Terracotta clay and stone roofs top the Tuscan-style villas. There are manicured yards and in-ground pools, and it's a relatively upscale community and a safe place. So it came as a shock on June 10, 2006, when the neighborhood began to see an increased police presence. And their jaws hit the floor when they were informed that a two-year-old child was missing. Everlise Cabrera was born on January 26, 2004, to parents Marlena Olivas and Ernesto Cabrera. Unfortunately, Everlise was dealt a pretty rough hand from the very beginning. According to the Charlie Project, both of Everlise's biological parents suffered from substance abuse issues. Department of Family Services became involved with the family after a younger sibling of Everlise's tested positive for drugs at birth. According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, in January of 2006, both children were removed from the care of their biological parents. It appears Everlise and her sibling were first placed in a safe haven for kids, and then, around April of 2006, placed in the care of foster parents V. and Manuel Carrasco. Everlise's biological parents still had visitation. They had since moved to El Monte, California, but made the drives back and forth to visit Everlise and her siblings. 
May 15th, 2006, is the last time they would ever see Everlease. And this visitation is memorable because according again to the Charlie Project, there was a burn on two-year-old Everlease's hand. Her biological parents asked how she got burned, but they didn't get a straight answer from the Carrascals. And then on June 10, 2006, at around noon, a 911 call was placed to North Las Vegas police to report a missing child. And when police responded, the Carrascals informed the responding officers that they last seen the child at 1 a.m. and she was safely asleep in her bed. When everyone woke up at 8 a.m., Everlease was gone and that they believed this two-year-old child had stood on a chair, unlocked the deadbolt to the home, and wandered off into the great unknown, wearing a pink shirt, pink shorts, and barefoot. All this according to News 3 Las Vegas. Hold up. Wait a minute. You're telling me that this two-year-old got a chair, pushed it up against the side of the door, unlocked a deadbolt, pushed the chair out of the way of the door in order to go outside in the middle of the night, and then just walked outside into complete darkness alone. And you heard none of this? And then you realized she was missing at 8 a.m., but waited a whole four ass hours to report it? Come on, man, you got to give us all something better than that, because that story right there makes about as much sense as tits on a bull. A full-on search is immediately kicked off by police, the entire neighborhood, and Everlease's biological parents. They arrived from California and joined in on the search. Flyers were posted everywhere. The police scoured the neighborhood. Everyone was looking for this precious two-year-old little girl, and they were frantic. No one had time to question the story just yet. They had a baby to find. And they searched the entire day and turned up nothing. Not a trace of little Everlease. The sun rose on day two and investigators began to question the Carrascal's story. I mean, with the amount of searching and all these boots on the ground, they would have found something. Everlease was two. She couldn't have gotten that far. And what do the Carrascals do? They refused to cooperate with police investigators after the first day. This child has gone missing from their home, and they refused to cooperate. The mood surrounding the investigation quickly began to change. And I mean like lightning speed quick. After two days of searching, the foot searches called off. Investigators started to ask the public to come forward with any sightings of Little Everlease after May 15th. It seems they cannot confirm anyone outside of the Carrascal household seeing or having any interaction with Everlease after that visit with her biological parents. Police confirmed that the Carrascals aren't aiding in the search for this missing child and go as far as to call them uncooperative stopping short of naming them as official suspects, and Everlease's sibling is removed from their care. They can refuse all they want, but the community and the police aren't going down like that, especially not right there in Diamond Court. 
According to KLASTV.com, Stephen Ermilio, who lived right next door to the Carrascals, used his property to make a place where the community could come and leave flowers and stuffed animals and pray for Everlisa's safe return. Multiple vigils were held right there on Mr. Emilio's property in view of the Carrascals. But the Carrascal family didn't exactly welcome these vigils or prayers for Everlisa's safe return. According to the Associated Press, Manuel Carrascal claimed that he and his family had been intimidated and forced out of their home due to the harassment of Mr. Emilio, and a protective order was filed. He accused his neighbor of banging on the front door and demanding they cooperate with police and join a candlelight vigil. In court documents obtained by the AP, Carrascal alleged that Mr. Ermilio organized picketing in front of his house and posted a placard with derogatory remarks on a chair near the front door. Stephen Ermilio denied that he had harassed or threatened the family, and this was all legal and done either on the public street or his own property, and he hadn't demanded that they attend the vigil and instead had simply invited them, further adding, I'm not out to cause harm or threaten them. All I want is them to tell the police what happened to the little girl. Don't we all? And Mr. Ermilio wasn't the only person Manuel Carrascal sought an order of protection against. He also filed against Marlene Olivas and Ernesto Cabrera, Everlisa's biological parents, seeking an end to the vigil that they had been holding in front of the Carrascal home. Marlena Olivas, Everlisa's mother, responded saying, We haven't done anything wrong. We don't know what else to do. We want to keep this in the public's mind. It seemed nothing came of the filing and the vigils continued. Just a few weeks after Everlease went missing, Team Adam from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children flew into Nevada and met with police in hopes to uncover more clues in the disappearance. According to their website, Team Adam provides support and consultation to search and rescue operations involving lost, injured, or abducted children. Several Team Adam consultants have extensive search and rescue training and experience after managing and or being directly involved with numerous searches for missing children. Isn't that amazing? And while police, Team Adam, and the community continued to search, Everlise's biological parents go a different route in an attempt to get answers. In September of 2006, they file a lawsuit against the Carrascals and Clark County Department of Family Services, alleging negligence in the supervision and monitoring of Everlise while in their custody. And then disturbing details begin to emerge. According to the Charlie Project, the Carrascals didn't own the home they were fostering children out of. No, no, the home belonged to their adult son, who lived with them, and he was never in the history of ever subject to so much as a criminal background check, even though he owned the home and was in the presence of these children. This is in direct violation of the Department of Family Services procedures. And remember that burn on Everlise's hand the last time her biological parents seen her? Well, this wasn't the first time a child in the care of the Carrascals had suffered a burn. 
it was revealed that a previous child the Carrascals had fostered was taken to the emergency room and had to spend a night getting treatment because he sustained second and third degree burns. And that four hour wait to report Everly's missing. It seemed there's a pattern of these people waiting to call for assistance or seek emergency care because that little boy sat for eight hours with second and third degree burns before he was finally taken in for treatment. But they sure didn't have a problem attempting to get orders of protection for themselves, now did they? According to V. Carrascal, the burns were sustained from hot soup spilling on the child. Neither V. or Ernesto were ever accused of abusing this child, but he was removed from their home, which I think speaks volumes. And in case you're keeping count, this makes two children with burns, one without an explanation and one with a stupid one. And I'd just like to note that to sustain those burns, this child would have had to lowball, been exposed to 130 degree liquid for 30 seconds. Let's all pretend this child would have kept his hand, foot, whatever, in 130 degree liquid for a whole 30 ass seconds. And it gets worse, of course. It turns out these so-called foster parents had previously demanded that officials remove several other children placed in their home. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. Children don't wind up in foster care because everything is going right in their life. These children are already at risk by the time protective services becomes involved. They are ripped from everything they know, and as horrific as the circumstances can be, It is all they know. Then place with strangers, oftentimes having nothing with them besides the clothes on their back. And in some cases, separated from their siblings. To become a foster parent is a huge and admirable undertaking. Foster parents are heroes. They welcome broken, hurt, confused, and sometimes angry children into their homes. They love these children as their own and tuck them into bed, kiss their boo-boos, make their meals, read bedtime stories, all the while never knowing how long this child will be in their care. They never know if this bedtime story or this tuck-in will be the last. Yet they don't hold back. They love fiercely and they put the needs of this child in front of their own knowing that reunification is always part of the plan and that one day this wonderful creature that they have come to know and love can be gone in an instant and then they will smile and help them through the process. All the while their own heart breaks because they love this child but they know their job is done and then they do this process all over again. A completely selfless act, and I have all the admiration and respect possible in the universe for foster parents. If you're a foster parent, let me just say you are a hero. You're amazing, and you are all that is right with this world. 
So it really chaps my ass, and I'm sure the asses of every foster parent who takes this role seriously and works so hard on a daily basis to mend these little broken hearts and gain their trust when people like these two poor excuses cause more harm to children already in a desperate situation. These two took in children during the time that they needed a responsible adult the most and then decided for whatever reason that, well, they just didn't feel like dealing with it and demanded removal from their home. But maybe that was fortunate since kids seem to get injured and now a two-year-old is missing from their home and their care and they're freaking uncooperative. The Department of Family Services apparently had concerns about the Carrascals' level of commitment to being foster parents, and not only because of these removals, they had also failed to comply and complete required training. Yeah, I said required. Excuse me? Let me just get this straight. Injured children, demands of removal of children that these people made commitments to, Failure to complete required training, some grown-ass man living in the home with these kids who had never had an appropriate background ran, and you had concerns? Am I missing something here? You're entrusting these people with little lives, and their license to foster wasn't immediately stripped away? No, y'all, despite all their concerns, just two months prior to little Everlise's disappearance, the state renewed the Carrascal's license to foster children. And while everyone had high hopes that the Carrascal's would testify in these civil proceedings and we would finally get answers as to where this beautiful baby girl is, that isn't what happens. You see, the Carrascals plead the fifth, you know, the one against self-incrimination, yeah, that one, and they refuse to speak when questioned about the disappearance of their own foster child in court. Not a freaking word. This, according to KLASnews.com, and let me just say that I-team investigative reporter Colleen McCarty did an amazing job reporting on Everlise's case and keeping her face in the news. This lawsuit was eventually settled with a $300,000 payout from the insurance policy provided to foster parents in Clark County. With this settlement, the Carrascals were also released from any future civil liability. This amount is the maximum payout on the insurance policy provided for the foster parents by Clark County. And oddly enough, after the six-digit payout, Clark County dropped the insurance provided for foster parents in December of 2007, according to LasVegasNow.com. According to the Channel 8i team, once the lawsuit was settled, it took some time for the judge to decide exactly how the proceeds were to be used, and an attorney and guardian ad litem, which is a person who oversees court proceedings on behalf of the child, was appointed over all things ever lease. Some of the funds were put in a trust. Others were used in the search, and in the fall of 2007, a judge approved some of the funds to be used to hire a private investigator, David Groover, who was actually a pretty well-known PI. But even with all the funds and all the investigation, 
it seems nothing came of it. Time ticked on with seemingly no new information, but little Everlise wasn't forgotten and the community was still demanding answers. About two years after her disappearance, hope was ignited when a young Hispanic girl matching Everlise's description with links to Southern Nevada was discovered in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We'll call her Sarah. According to a search warrant obtained by KLAS Channel 8i team, a child pornography and sexual abuse investigation led police to raid a home in Green Bay, where Sarah was found. Cocaine, needles, and child porn were also found during the raid. Furthermore, little Sarah was found with a known prostitute who said she was not the girl's mother. A male suspect told police that the prostitute claimed she got the little girl from a woman in California who traded her for crack cocaine. A little girl traded for a crack rock. Sarah was taken into protective custody. And while Green Bay police tried to downplay the chance that this could be Everlease, everyone held their breath, especially her biological family. Could this be her? Could it really be little Everlease? Would they get to hold their daughter in their arms once again? Could this story have a happy ending? DNA was submitted and everyone was on the edge of their seats. The wait was excruciating. But the answer was even more painful. This little girl wasn't Everlease. It wasn't her. The child that was found in Wisconsin was the daughter of a former inmate. Everlease was still missing. And this is something that is so tragic for the family and loved ones of missing persons. The constant roller coaster of emotions. Every time a new lead comes in, there's a renewed hope. Every time an unidentified body is found, there's fear that this could be their loved one. Every time someone is recovered alive and identification isn't immediately made, hope rises up like a wildfire, no matter how hard they try to contain themselves. And then when the lead doesn't pan out, the person is identified, the rug is pulled out from under their feet, and they're in the exact same position they were in before, despite this roller coaster ride from hell. They pull it together once again and get ready for the next ride. Their loved one is still missing. And that's exactly what happened in Everlise's case. After this overwhelming hope that she could be located alive, once the ID was made, they were back to square one. Everlise was still missing. There seemed to be no major movement on the case until July of 2009 when investigative reporter Colleen McCarty sat down with yet another private investigator that had been hired to look into Everlise's case. Private investigator James Conklin revealed that once he canvassed the neighborhood and realized the home Everlease went missing from had new owners, he made contact with those new owners and was given permission to search the property. He received assistance from the North Las Vegas Police Department as well as the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and together they searched the home with cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar, something that wasn't available during the initial investigation. Unfortunately, yet again, nothing came of it. Conklin goes on to say, 
It just tears at your heartstrings to know this child has been missing for three years and there is not one answer as to what happened to her and that he hoped a fresh perspective would finally bring her home. Ten years pass with no new clues. In November of 2019, according to News 3 LV, a new detective, Detective Weiss, steps in with a fresh pair of eyes. He has a hunger and a drive to get to the bottom of exactly what in the hell has happened to this then two-year-old child. He tells Channel 3 that an extensive investigation was done of the neighborhood of the desert area around looking for Everlease, alive or otherwise, and that volunteers from the community also got involved. And he reiterated the fact that the last time the foster family spoke to police was on the initial day of the investigation. Detective Weiss made several public appearances pleading for anyone with information to come forward. But even with fresh eyes and a renewed interest in her case, Everlise is still missing. And she's not alone. Children in the foster care system are at a 42% higher risk of death, according to a study in JAMA Pediatrics, and they pose a much higher risk of going missing. According to an article in the Washington Post written by Renee Denfield, citing a review of federal records by investigative reporters Eric Rasmussen and Aaron Smith, more than 61,000 foster care children had gone missing in the U.S. alone since 2000, and their cases have just been closed. Another 53,000 foster children were listed as runaways. In the same review of records, it was revealed that in 2018, 80 children were currently missing from Kansas and hundreds in Florida. In Arizona, children who were missing for six months were just simply dropped from foster care rolls. There was a case in Florida where a four-year-old girl was missing for a whole 15-ass months before anyone from DCF noticed. Her foster parent has since been locked up in connection with her death, and these are just a few of the examples. And as I've mentioned before, while foster parents are legitimate heroes, there are those who slip through the cracks and take advantage of the situation to abuse and prey on our children that are most at risk. And it takes a certain kind of evil, not only to prey on a child, but to prey on the most vulnerable of our children. And this isn't just a problem in the U.S. It's global and it's terrifying. Everlease's disappearance took its toll on the community, the law enforcement officials who want so desperately to bring her home, but perhaps most of all, her biological parents who made their mistakes, no doubt, but have been advocating for little Everlise since the day she went missing. They have since surrendered their rights to their other children, and the reason is both beautiful and tragic all at the same time. Their other children had bonded so closely with their foster family, and they didn't want to break that bond. They were eventually adopted with the biological parents' blessing by their foster family. And if this isn't the prime example of what fostering looks like when it's done correct, then I don't know what is. 
all of the adults in the situation putting their needs behind those of the children. Everlise's parents have not surrendered their rights to her and they continue to search for their missing daughter. The questions still remain. What happened to two-year-old Everlise Cabrera? It seems her so-called foster parents and their son have dropped off the map, last reportedly living somewhere in California. They have never provided answers about what happened to this beautiful child other than that half-assed story told on the day of her disappearance. Why? Everlise remains missing and the circumstances surrounding her disappearance are still, 15 years later, unclear. And her foster parents remain the focus of the investigation. What happened to Everlise? Everlise Cabrera was two at the time of her disappearance. She was reportedly last seen wearing a pink shirt, pink shorts, and no shoes. She went missing from Diamond Point Court in North Las Vegas. She would be 17 years old today. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children have made age-progressed photos of what she would look like today. I'll link those photos and more information pertaining to the disappearance of Everlise on my Facebook, at least of these, and my Instagram, at least underscore of these. Everlise deserves to be found. Her family and this community deserve answers. It's beyond time for someone to do the right thing and speak up for this innocent child. It's so beyond time. If you have any information about the disappearance of Everlise Cabrera, please call the North Las Vegas Police Department at 702-633-9111. Let's bring this baby home. I'll be bringing you an all-new case next Thursday, and I can't wait to tell you this story. Make sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.